Good morning, everyone. Let's try it one more time. Good morning, everyone. That's better. Hey, listen, two months from today is Christmas Day. And everyone said, like, amen to that. It's coming quick. Believe it or not, Thanksgiving's coming. Christmas is coming. So between our Sunday morning services and our 12 Christmas services, we're going to have church 20 times between now and Christmas Day. And probably every time you show up, the parking lot, the church, the sidewalks, where you park, where you enter is going to look different. So first, thank you for being patient with us as we kind of build our new church for our church family to come back together. And for those in our community who might not know Jesus through journey yet. Um, so thanks for being patient with us. Uh, and you might just look ahead. Try to be a few minutes early if you can, because things will be different every week. And if you're willing to get up early and come to the 8 a.m. service, that will always be the most hassle-free service in and out that would help us keep these kind of larger services that have the 930 service leaving on top of the 11, um, maybe just a little easier traffic flow. But thank you for putting up with the mess as we get ready to grow. Hey, we're in week four of a series called The Way of Jesus. And here is the purpose of this series. The goal of this series is to learn the ways of Jesus so that we can live lives like Jesus as followers of Jesus. That's our goal to learn who Jesus is so we can become like Jesus is because we are followers of his. Those of us in the room, those of you watching online from all over the world, apparently. Good morning. We're so glad you're with us. For those of you all around the country, good morning. We're so glad you're with us. Those who are near and dear to my heart the most, though, are our Journey family. More than 50% of our church still watching online in this COVID season. We know it may be a long time into 2021 before you're with us, but if we can serve you in a way, if we can pray for you in any way, if we can help you in any way, know that we love you and we miss you. We're aware of you. Please let us know if we can help. We would absolutely love to do that. This series is about Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. One more time. Say Jesus. Jesus. Now say this. This won't be easy. Turn to someone sitting near you and just tell them this will not be easy. As we get ready to jump into the Beatitudes, I want to show you what Oswald Chambers says about the teaching of Jesus. He said, the Beatitudes initially seem to be merely soothing and beautiful precepts, yet we must decide whether or not we will accept the tremendous spiritual upheaval that will be produced in our circumstances if we obey the words of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus can come to us with astonishing discomfort, and this may be one of those days for you as we dig into the teaching of Jesus. I just want to warn you on the front end. Today is going to be a day of processing some things with your heart as we dig into what can be some difficult circumstances and subjects. You say, why is that? Because here are the goals of our service today. One, to understand the reality and the results of righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? What does God demand for us to be righteous? And then once we learn that, what's our response so today we're going to see what it means to be righteous. We're going to, we're going to learn what it means to be righteous. We're going to see what that looks like in our life. And then here's going to be the hard part. We're going to see whether or not we're going to apply that. We're going to see whether or not we're willing to do that. We're going to see whether or not we're willing to follow Jesus the way he calls us to follow him. So today might be an uncomfortable day. Today might be a hard day. Today might be a day that you have to listen, think about, pray about, study, and then come back and ask some questions because today we're going to learn about the reality the response um, of righteousness and what it takes to connect with Jesus. Before we ever jump into the word of God at our church, we always stop and pray. Let me say for those of you who come to Monday morning prayer, if you haven't looked ahead at the forecast, 
potentially three to five inches of snow tomorrow morning starting before um, we would pray. So before you go to bed tonight, we will make a decision on whether or not we're going to have Monday morning prayer for those of you here, for those of you online. Um, don't come until you check our website and our social media accounts. A lot of our Monday morning prayer production is done by teenagers and college students in our church. And if it's going to be any kind of precipitation that's dangerous, we won't have them get on the roads because they leave their house between 4 a.m. and 4.30 to get here at 5 to get everything ready for you. So check before you come tomorrow or you may be praying in the snow all by yourself. Um, Let's pray together and ask God to speak to us today. Can we? Would you take a deep breath wherever you are right now? And would you just whisper this prayer from your heart to heaven? Would you ask God to speak to you today? God, that's our prayer that you'd speak to us today. Show us what it means to understand your righteousness. And God, then give us the courage to embrace that righteousness as our standard of connecting with you. That's our prayer. And God, we pray it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Matthew chapter 5 is where we are. If you have your Bible, you can grab your notes out of your bulletin so you can follow along or fire up that Journey Church International app. Everything on our screen will be in your handheld device. We've been in 12 verses the last three weeks. We'll be here for the next five weeks after this. Here's what it says. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For about 10 weeks we're living in these 12 verses with this goal that these 12 verses after 10 weeks would live in our hearts and our lives for the rest of our life but we're going one verse at a time today we're in verse 6 that says this blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled as we understand this beatitude the most important part of this beatitude is understanding righteousness For you and I, it's understanding righteousness. What's that mean? What's it supposed to mean to me? How does it help me understand who God is? If you have your Bible, circle that word righteousness in verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, if you've been with us for two or three weeks, you might be saying, why are you not starting with hunger and thirst? You almost always start at the beginning of the verse, and then you kind of teach through it. Why are you starting in the middle of the verse? Here's why. Before I, before I figure out if you're hungry and, hungry and thirsty, I want you to know what the meal is. So Jesus is inviting us here to a, to a meal called righteousness. And before you figure out how hungry or thirsty you are, before you figure out what your appetite is, I want you to know the meal being served. So I want to talk to you today about righteousness. Now, here's a good thing for you to know. If you've embraced the first three Beatitudes, poor in spirit, mourn, meek, you are working up a spiritual appetite for righteousness. So if the first three weeks have hit your heart well, you, you are getting hungry for what we're getting ready to learn today, and that's about righteousness. How do we translate righteousness? Righteousness most simply in theological terms means being right with God. And when you hear that standard, almost everyone would think this. If there is such thing as God, 
And if you can be right with him, like if I can have a right relationship with God where one day when I leave this earth, I see God and he kind of gives me a fist bump and says, we're good. Like if there, if there really is a God and I can be good with him, of course I have an appetite for that. Like who wouldn't? Yes, like if there's, if there's a God and I can be on good terms with that God, I'm starving for that. Please tell me how to do that. You need to understand the whole definition before you make that commitment. See, this word in the Greek language means this. It's the conditions and standards that God has set based on his perfect divinity for being in right standing with him. And this changes what righteousness means. Because everyone, if there is a God, wants to be in good standing with that God. The question is, are you willing to be right with God based on his standards? Those are different questions. You understand that, right? It's one thing to ask a question. Do you want to be right with God? Of course. The question I'm asking is, do you want to be right with God according to his standards? Do you want to be right with God based on his conditions? Because that's what righteousness is. And it's a huge question for you to answer. Are you going to come to God on his terms? Or are you going to try to God, come to God on your terms? Because in Matthew chapter 19, we see both. And one is received and one is rejected. They literally are right on top of each other in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew, who teaches us the Beatitudes, says in Matthew 19, a, a little child came to Jesus to worship Jesus, and Jesus took the little kid, and he turned him around to the crowd who was there, and he said, anyone who wants to enter my kingdom has to have faith like this kid. This is what faith looks like. This kid trusts me. He already obeys my authority. He's not asking for anything. This little kid is coming and saying, I like I recognize you are the Messiah. Anyone who wants to come to me has to have childlike, simple faith and trust. And one in the crowd said, I want to come to you. We know him as the rich young ruler in scripture. And he said, I want to come to you. And Jesus said, I would love for you to come to me, but you love your money more than God. Sell everything you have, then come follow me. And the, the rich young ruler said, I don't have an appetite for that. And Jesus said, I don't have room for you then. See, in Matthew chapter 19, we see a picture of somebody who comes to Jesus on Jesus' terms, and Jesus receives him. And then we see a picture of somebody who comes to God on their own terms, and Jesus rejects him because Jesus said, righteousness is God's way of you coming to me. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who have an appetite to be right with God according to God's standards. Probably the best picture of how this works in scripture are two verses in Romans chapter one. The book of Romans was written to Christians who were non-Jewish followers of Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote this book to the church in Rome, but he planned through this letter that the entire world, everyone who was ever a follower of Jesus who wasn't Jewish would read this and learn how to follow Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not Jewish, this, these two verses were written for you to help you understand how to connect with God. Here's what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What is Paul saying? He said, in the gospel, in the good news of who Jesus is, in the story of Jesus... In the story of Jesus, we find out how to be right with God. It was revealed in him. His life showed us how to be right with God. It was perfection. We look at that life and say, 
If that's what it means to be right with God, I don't know that I can. But then his death invited us by faith into the relationship. We would let his life be lived for ours, and we would let his death be died for ours. Paul said in the story of Jesus, how to be right with God was clearly shown to you. You connect to Jesus by faith. You don't achieve righteousness. You receive righteousness. You place your faith in God's Son, and then you walk in God's standards so that you can be right with God. Let me say it again. You place your faith in God's Son, and then you walk in God's standards so that you can be right with God. Now, this is, I've put on your notes, this is a different beatitude. This is different than all the others in two ways. This one's a very unique Beatitude. You say, Christian, how is this a unique beatitude? First, it's the only beatitude that rewards a longing. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are thinking about being poor in spirit. He didn't say, blessed are those who are considering mourning, all the broken stuff happening in the world. He didn't say, blessed are those who are praying about being meek. He said, no, if you're poor in spirit, you'll be blessed. If you mourn sin, you'll be blessed. If you choose to be meek, you'll be blessed. Here he didn't say, blessed are you when you become righteous. He said, blessed are you when you begin to want it. It's different than all the other ones. You're going to be blessed simply by wanting, desiring to be righteous. So it's different than all of the others because in the other Beatitudes, you have to be them to receive the blessing. In this Beatitude, you only have to hunger for it to receive the blessing. You say, why is that? Because you can't achieve it. You can be poor in spirit, you can mourn sin, you can surrender your strengths to God, but you cannot be as righteous as God demands you to be. And in Philippians chapter 3, Paul unpacks this thought of a desire for righteousness that has to take the place of the destination of righteousness. Paul said to the church in Philippi, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which means I, if Jesus would have said, blessed are the righteous... Couldn't have done that because one failure is one failure too many. And to be righteous is to be perfect, Jesus said. So Paul said, I can't claim that I have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I broke it. I didn't get a 100% on the test. But I have a righteousness which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul said, I could not achieve righteousness, but I could receive it when it was offered to me in Jesus. His perfect life for my broken life His death paid as the punishment for my sin. I can't achieve righteousness, but I can receive it, and then I can begin to walk in it. Many of you have done that. Many of you watching online have done that. You will say, I can't achieve righteousness, but I have received righteousness. I've received Jesus, and I'm trying to walk in his righteousness. If that's you, two messages for you. One, great job. Two, look out. One, great job. You can be blessed for the pursuit of life that you're on. Secondly, look out. Because this is a different beatitude. And this is a beatitude that doesn't just come with a longing. This is the only beatitude that has a warning attached to it. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit, but if you're poor in spirit, look out. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who mourn, but if you mourn, look out. Jesus didn't say, blessed are those who are meek, but if you become meek, look out. But Jesus did say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But if you get to the point of pursuing righteousness and believing God's standard of righteousness, look out because they're going to come after you. Say, where is that? In verse 10, the only 
warning in the entire Beatitudes partnered with one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. In verse 6, Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst for it, you're going to be blessed. But guess what? When you begin to pursue it, you're going to be persecuted. So look out. You know, I don't know if you've recognized this yet. Those of you who follow Jesus, there's always a cost to following Jesus. There's always been a cost to following Jesus. But in the year 2020, like spiritual inflation is happening and the cost of following Jesus is going up. There's always been a cost to following Jesus in every generation and every time period in history. But the cost of following Jesus it is on the increase in 2020. Like there's no more like grandma, grandpa paid a nickel for a candy bar and a dime for a Coke cost of following Jesus. Like you ever hear those stories from grandma, grandpa? I remember when I used to go down to the gas station, I'd buy a candy bar for a quarter and I'd buy one, a glass bottle of Coke for a dime and fill up with gas for like 23 cents. It's like, grandpa, times have changed, man. We don't do that anymore. And there's a lot of you who like maybe in 1985, the cost of following Jesus was here and believing what Jesus says about the things of life was here in 2020 because the spiritual inflation is going up. I promise you the cost of following Jesus is increasing. And if you don't believe that, just look at what happened with the Avengers this week. Now, those of you who just came back into the service, welcome back. We're glad you're here. Like, wait, wait a minute. Hang. How, how did you just go from Jesus to the Avengers? Did y'all see what happened with the Avengers this week? So there are four actors of similar age, pretty famous in Hollywood the last 10 years that are known as the four Chrises. They all star in the Avengers movies, Chris Pratt, um, Chris Evans, Chris Pine, Chris Hemsworth. If you only know them by like their superhero um, character, characters, Chris Evans is Captain America, um, Chris Pratt is the Star-Lord, Chris Hemsworth is Thor, and Chris Pine, like he's not a superhero, but he's dating Wonder Woman. So like that's pretty cool. Like, like if you're not a super, like if you're not a superhero... That's the, the next best thing would be to date a superhero like Wonder Woman. Unless you're like me and you've already married Wonder Woman. And everyone say, yeah, thank you. She'll pay me later. Um, so like, so like a, a columnist this week in Hollywood said, um, one of the Chris's has to go. Four is too many. We need to whittle it down to three. One of the Chris's has to go. And the Twitterverse exploded and said, Chris Pratt has to go. He's got to go. He's got to go. The Star Lord. You say, why is he? Is his character the worst? No, in my opinion, is like he's one of the best. Um, he's also the Jurassic World guy. He's the Parks and Rec guy. You say, why is why is he have to go? Because a year and a half ago, he started dating a gal by the name of Catherine Schwarzenegger. They just got married, and he started going to her church. She went to a church in Los Angeles that is one of the most impactful churches in the world today. It's a, it's a church movement called Hillsong. They have churches in the largest, most influential cities in the world. They are reaching more people, more types of people, more broken people in large urban culture than any church in the world right now on several different continents. Anyone and everyone is accepted to come there, but they affirm in their biblical beliefs God's view of sexuality, which is one man and one woman, and only when they're married. That's the only standard God blesses for sex. So the Twitter verse exploded, not even hearing a statement from him because the paparazzi had shot them a dozen times or so the last year going in and out of that church and said, if he believes what they believe, he's a bigot, he's got to go. Beliefs equal bigotry now. Cost of following Jesus is going up. Because the church he goes to, like our church, believes that God's plan for biblical sexuality is one man, one woman, 
when you're married. Two people having sex before they're married, the Bible calls that fornication. That does not meet God's standard. Uh, Having sex with someone while you're married that's not your spouse, the Bible calls that adultery. That does not meet God's standard. Two people of the same gender having sex, the Bible calls that homosexuality. That does not meet God's standard. Watching two people on a screen have sex, the Bible calls that pornography. That does not meet God's standard. In your heart, wanting to have sex and having sexual feelings towards someone who's not your spouse, the Bible calls that lust. That is not God's standard. You say, Christian, but like, but like all, those, all those people can still come to journey, right? Well, like I hope so. We're all going to have to leave because at some point in our life, like we've all lived in those five categories of sexual brokenness at, at some point. You say, well, like, can all, like, but all those five groups, like all those five groups can still come to Jesus, right? Of course they can. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which is lost and that which was broken. But when we come to the Savior, we come with open hands ready to accept his standards for our life. Say, Christian, man, what you're saying sounds really judgmental. Sounds really judgmental. I don't like it. I don't like it. I, I just, I don't like the spirit of it. And I would say, I would say you're, I understand. I understand. And I would have three responses. Um, Number one, I would say this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to place God's standards in your life before you meet his Savior is impossible. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the first thing you need to do is receive Jesus as Savior. Then and only then do his standards even begin to matter to your heart. You you can't fulfill the standards without the Savior. So if if you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to know your first step is to receive Jesus as Savior. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you say, I, I want to be right with God. You have to receive Jesus as your Savior. Then your heart, through his Holy Spirit, will begin to be open to his standards. But I also want to say this. It sounds really judgmental. You need to know there is a day of judgment coming. It would not be fair of me to not tell you that. The most important day of your life is the day after you die. Because on that day, you will begin an eternal existence either right with God and forever with him or wrong with God and forever separated from him and all of his attributes, all the good that he is. And your friends who, because of their love for you, are not telling you the truth, are saying to you, your relationship with me is more important to me than your relationship with God. What they want is for you to be good with them. And that's more important than you being good with God. So they've not told you the whole truth. And my job is to tell you, the whole truth. If you want to be right with God, receive Jesus. His spirit will help your heart be open to any standards. Let me say this, number two. For those of you who, who claim to be Christians, who, who follow Jesus, but who constantly question God's standards and says, judgmental, I don't like it, I don't, I don't agree with it, I don't believe it. In the courtroom drama of Christianity, you are not called to be the judge and you are not called to be the jury. You're not even called to be one of the attorneys. Your only call in the Christian life is to be a witness. To take the stand and say, here's what I know about Jesus. Here's what he has done for me. Here's how he has told me to live my life and then leave the stand. You are not the judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. His name is God. It's not you. And because some people have been tired of the church being a jury that just condemns everyone that's not like them, they've said, I don't want to be the jury, so I'm going to become the judge. But our job is only to be the witness. We're the witness. 
Here's who Jesus is. Here's what he's done in my life. Here's how he's told me to live my life. That's all I know. And for those of you who are Christians who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you say, what would you have to say to them? How would they hear what you're saying, Pastor Christian? They would hear it as a meal. Because people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, anytime God's standard for being right with him is set before them, it feeds their soul. So if you're here today and this is filling your soul. You can know you're someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, but you need to understand we're living in a day and age where belief can make you a bigot. The cost of following Jesus, the cost of believing what God says about being right with him is going up. Spiritual inflation is real. Amen? Like we we know that, right? You don't have to like it to know it. Like we know the cost of following Jesus is going up. But we don't really have a choice if we come to him like a child. Pastor John MacArthur says this about spiritual hunger and thirst. When our spiritual hunger and thirst are genuine, they'll make no conditions. They'll seek and accept God's righteousness in whatever way he chooses to provide it, and they will obey his commands no matter how demanding they may be. My goal this morning is to help you understand righteousness what it means through God's standards, through God's conditions to be right with him. And my hope at this point in the message is that you're still hungry. Now that you understand the meal, my hope is you're saying, when when do we eat? My hope actually is that you have a big appetite that you've heard you can be right with God, that you've heard there are standards that will help you begin to get right with God, and you're saying, when do we eat? Like, help me understand those at a deeper level, because Jesus said in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Now, I don't know why this is, but I'm glad it is. God is often seen meeting people over a meal. Jesus, when we study the life of Jesus, is constantly doing ministry while having a meal with someone. God likes to have breakfast, lunch, and dinner with people. We never read in Scripture hipsters that Jesus invited someone for coffee. So stop, like, stop meeting your friends for coffee, shave the beard, put the flannel away, and, like, invite someone over for a meal. Like, Christianity is, is meals, not coffee right? Jesus never said, hey, let's go get a latte. Um, As a matter of fact, the psalmist said when he was talking about his relationship with God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Not a latte, a table. You prepare a table for me. It's a picture of Thanksgiving. God loves to sit down, hang out, have meals, get to know one another. He's a He's, he's big on meals for some reason all through scripture. God hopes, listen, God hopes that you're hungry. God hopes that you're hungry. Because the meal he's serving is Jesus, and he knows it will nourish your soul. You say, that's a weird way to talk about Jesus. That's not how I talk about Jesus. That's how Jesus talks about Jesus. He's the one who said, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the one who said, I am the living water. Jesus is the one who said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. God hopes you're hungry. He's prepared a table. He's trying to whet your appetite. You say, for what? For Jesus. Because Jesus changes everything. The question would be, why why is God giving us Jesus as our spiritual meal? Why Jesus? Why is Jesus our spiritual meal? And the answer is this, so you can have a right standing with God. The only way to be right with God according to his standards are to be as perfect as Jesus, which no one is, or to trade places with Jesus. So you take my cross, 
I'll take your standards and your righteousness, and I will do my very best to lean into and follow you. Now, what's left in this message is a little grammar lesson that's going to kind of blow the, blow the teaching to the proper proportion. Now, when I say grammar, um, a lot of you, like my daughter Casey, who's a junior, um, she hates grammar. And anytime she has a grammar quiz, a grammar test, her grammar gets corrected on a quiz in the day of text messaging and spell check. Like, no one knows anything about grammar. Every time she's like, grammar, she's like, grammar, grammar, grammar. I hate grammar. So on our notes, I put grammar, grammar, grammar. I'm going to give you a little grammar lesson. Because when you understand the original grammar of the Greek language that Matthew wrote in, your mind is going to be blown. All right, here we go. Hunger and thirst are in the present imperfect tense in the Greek language. And righteousness is in the direct accusative, not the standard partitive genitive case. Amen? (laughs) It's like, like, I don't even know what that means. Like, is amen a great? Like, I don't even know what that means. Good thing is neither do I, but people write books and they teach you what this stuff means. When we understand what Jesus was saying versus what we're reading, this text becomes so much more rich in our soul. Say, what does it mean that hunger and thirst are in the present imperfect tense? Present is right now. Present perfect would be only this moment. It's like a perfect moment in our present. You could think about it that way. Present imperfect means it's something that happens in the present every time it's present, which means today we're learning at 1144 it's present, but tomorrow at 1144 it will still be present, and Tuesday at 1144 it will still be present, and Wednesday at 114 it will still be present. When you translate what Jesus said in the correct case, the present imperfect translation of Matthew 5, 6 is this, those who hunger and those, those who constantly and continuously have a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a hunger and thirst that never lets up, a hunger and thirst that only continues to grow. Jesus said, blessed are those who every moment of every day, day after day, week after week, month after month, blessed are those who always have this hunger and thirst in their soul for who I am. It keeps growing and it never lets up. People who feel that in their soul are going to be blessed. It changes the meaning in a powerful way. People who always, always wake up every day with the same hunger and thirst. Jesus said those people are going to learn to be filled. Now, almost every time in the Greek language, you see the object of hunger or thirst. It's in the partitive genitive case. The only Part of that word you need to hear is part. Partitive genitive just means not the whole. It means a, a small part of something. So if you would say, I hunger for bread, partitive genitive would mean some bread. Like you would never like go into your pantry and say, I'm hungry for bread. And what that means is the entire loaf. Um, when you say I'm thirsty for water, you literally don't mean all of the water in the world. You just mean I want to drink of some water. Partitive genitive. You never hunger and thirst for anything in the direct accusative because the direct accusative is all of it and it wouldn't even make sense. If you hungered for pizza in the direct accusative, it would mean this, I'm hungry for all the pizza in the world. Like, wow, you're really hungry. Like, that, that's a lot of pizza. I've never hungered for all the pizza in the world. I've contemplated hungering for all the chips and salsa in the world from time to time when I walk into a Mexican restaurant, but... That's, that's what it means. So when we, de- when we define what Jesus is saying, righteousness is in the direct accusative, which means Jesus is saying he blesses people who say, I want all of God's righteousness, not just a taste that might get me to heaven. Jesus said, blessed are people who hunger and thirst every day, all day, moment by moment, morning after morning, 
and it only grows. Blessed are people who hunger and thirst, listen, for all that Jesus is, for all that Jesus offers, for all that Jesus commands me, for all that Jesus has for me. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for everything that Jesus is. Because he says those type of people will be absolutely blessed. You say, how will they be blessed? Jesus said they'll be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Once again, our Greek language is valuable to us here. The word is hortazo. It's used of animals who were able to eat until they were satisfied. Two words in the Greek language of animals eating. One, animals eating in a trough, who would eat until the trough was empty, and then they'd be done. Another word used of animals who would graze in a field, who could eat until they were done, but the food never ran out. That's the word Jesus used for blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. He said, when you hunger and thirst day after day, moment after moment for all that Jesus is, you will eat until you're satisfied. And then when you wake up the next day, you'll eat some more. The trough will never be empty. The river will never run dry. The bread will always be fresh. The water will always be living. Blessed are people who hunger and thirst for all of who I am because they will be filled day after day after day and I will never run out of being able to sustain them. When you live your life in a daily pursuit of Jesus and his standards for your life, you will be completely satisfied. That's what Matthew 5, 6 is saying. And some of you would say, I'm not there yet, but I'd like to be. Christian, I've messed up so much. I mean, like, Yes, I want to be right with God, but Jesus' standards are so tough, and I've tried them in the past, and they haven't worked out well, so I'm just doing the best I can, and I like to hunger and thirst for all of Jesus, but right now I've got to be content with just a little bit. Maybe this beatitude's not for me. I believe it is. I believe it's for everyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. And I believe King David is a great example to us of that because his heart was bigger than his habits. He's first introduced to us as a man who was after God's own heart. He was a man who lived to please God's heart. That's how he was described. But he'd have moments in life where he put himself first. He had moments in life where he put his financial desires first. He had moments in life where he put his family second. He had moments in life where he put his sexual passions first. He had moments in life where as a warrior king, he would kind of kill in cold blood. He was a man who had lots of failures and some of those impacted his spiritual legacy deeply because one day he woke up as a man after God's own heart and said, God, I want to build you a temple so the whole world will know that you are the God of Israel. And God said, I appreciate the thought, but your hands are not clean enough to do that. You've not been faithful in your marriages. You've not parented your kids well. You've spilled a lot of blood as a warrior king. The person that builds my home in Jerusalem, the city of peace, can't be a man who's killed as many people as you, starting with Goliath and on and on and on. He said, your son will do it. But when Solomon built it, he said, here's what God told dad before dad told me to build the temple. In 1 Kings 8, 18, the Lord said to my father, David, you did well to have this in your heart. It would never in your lifetime get to your hands. But I'm grateful it was in your heart. The righteousness of Jesus will never get to your hands in this lifetime. But what Matthew 5, 6 is saying is if it's in your heart, you'll be filled up with who Jesus is. The righteous perfection of who Jesus is will, will never end up in your hands on this side of eternity. But if it's in your heart... Your life will be spiritually satisfied and very slowly you'll begin to walk into who Jesus created you to be. Journey, blessed 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Journey, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the good news of who Jesus is and how he connects me to God. And I'm not ashamed of the standards that he then gives us to walk in his righteousness. How about you? Where are you today? Are you right with God? Are you right with God? If not, you need to understand one day judgment's coming. You can judge yourself today so God doesn't have to later by saying, God, I'm not right with you, but I want to be. And you can surrender your heart to a Savior named Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Jesus or you're beginning to question whether or not you want to follow Jesus because of his standards. Listen, you aren't the judge. You don't need to be the judge. There is a judge. His name is Jesus. You don't need to be the jury. You don't need to condemn or say guilty or innocent. You just need to be a witness. And if you're here today and you say, no, I I hunger and I thirst for all of God's righteousness, the cost of Christianity is going up. But if you're willing to pay it, Boy, Jesus will stand right there with you and he'll sustain you in the most difficult moments. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they are going to be satisfied. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Lord, we come to Jesus so we can walk with Jesus. We learn the ways of Jesus so we can become like Jesus. Help us in our pursuit to do that. If you're here today and you're not right with God, If you're here today and you're not good with God, if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God that assures you that one day when you stand before him, you've already judged yourself so he doesn't need to judge you. If you're here today and you're not right with God, you need to hear that Jesus is a savior who came to live for you. Jesus was a savior that died so your sin could be forgiven. Jesus was a savior that was resurrected so you might have a new life as you begin to follow him. And if you're not right with God today, but you want to be right with the God of the universe, all you have to do is receive the gift of Jesus. Tell him you need him. You say, Christian, how do I do that? You just open up your heart to the God of heaven and you respond to what you're hearing today that God wants you to be right with him. And he gave his son Jesus so you could be. If you don't know how to pray that prayer, put that into words. I'll say a prayer you can repeat after me. You don't have to pray out loud from your heart to heaven. Just pray something like this. If you're not right with God today, but you want to be prayed, pray this, Jesus, I need you in my life. Just repeat it after me. Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to be right with God. Forgive my sin and brokenness. Heal me and make me brand new. I surrender my will to your spirit. Come into my heart and life and lead me today by faith, which means I don't understand it all, but I'm willing to trust with a childlike faith. Today, I commit my life to follow you as a follower of Jesus. Today, I want to become a Christian. If you prayed that prayer with me in just a second, Danielle's going to come and tell you how you can let us know of your decision.